welcome to another inspirational message from Brave Church UK. If you've got your Bibles, you want to open up at Psalm 23. Psalm 23, probably the most well-known psalm. We've been looking um, at the moment in this series that we're on uh, at the names of God. And the title of this series is More Than a Name. And we're discovering the different titles, the different names of God. But also, here's what we're discovering through the series that they, they aren't just the names that are given to God, that the names reflect something of his nature. So his name shows us his nature. And we've had fun looking at some, some names of God these last few weeks. Today we're going to look at the name Jehovah-Rohi. Jehovah-Rohi, which literally means this. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't know about you, but uh, I just have an awareness in life. I need a shepherd. Uh, I'm, I'm good at making a mess. Anybody else? Really good at making a mess. In fact, this week, uh, this last couple of weeks, I've had uh, we've uh, at home we've had our bathroom renovated, and a new suite in, and complete renovation. They did a great job, looking amazing. And uh, we decided that we decided we we're going to pick the color to put on the walls to go with the new bathroom suite. And so we picked the color. We thought we'd gone for like a light gray, but you know, you, when you put it on the walls and it's lilac, you've got a problem. <laughs> And, uh, and so we got this beautiful suite in, looking amazing, nice flooring in, all good, and lilac on the walls. And uh, you know when you have those conversations with yourself, can I live with this or not? And, uh, and you try and convince yourself, don't you? I was stood in there going, I think, I think we could live with this. I think we could be all right. And I looked at Rachel. She was like, no way. <laughs> no way. We're not living with this. And uh, so we went and got some, more, some other paint and decided we're going to paint our bathroom. I decided just, we bought the paint and I decided I'm going to do it tonight. I was, that's just, just me all over. I'm like, get it done tonight. Get it off my mind. I just, just, I mean, I'm all in. Let's do it. And I'm painting. I'm cutting in. I'm, I'm stood up on some ladders up against the wall over my brand new shower. All everything beautiful, looking amazing. And I'm up at the top of, of, of the ladders and I lean over the shower and the ladders slip from under me. And in my brand new bathroom, I hit my, my arm on the brand new shower head that's just been put on. And I land on the glass cubicle that encloses the shower. And I'm thinking, it's lucky the glass didn't smash and me end up dead. And, uh, and the ladders have slipped on the new floor. Luckily, they didn't rip the new floor. But they busted the shower head and they punched a hole in the new shower panel that we just had fitted on the wall. And you know, you have those moments of going, Sam, you're just an idiot. You're just a loser. Like, like you can't even, you make a mess of everything. And uh, I, I'm, I'm my own worst critic, so I'm going to bed going, what an absolute flipping idiot. If, if I wasn't me, I'd beat myself up right now. Like, come, I, I, just want, I just feel like I want to fight myself. You know what I mean? You ever feel like that? Just me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. And, and, I just, I, I, and that's the story of my life. Actually, when I look back on my life, here's what I realize. I'm just an expert at making a mess of stuff. Anybody else? I take something that's beautiful, the life that God's called me to and created for me, and I do my best to mess it up. And here's what I realized, I need a shepherd. And Psalm 23, we're going to look at this morning, it's probably the most famous psalm, it's probably the psalm that we'd most identify with in terms of Jehovah-Rohi, the Lord is my shepherd. So we're going to look at Psalm 23 and we're going to make some observations about the shepherd, who, who is God himself, Jesus who leads us. But also we're going to look at the life of Joseph. And we're going to see how the, the Psalm 23, when David writes about the Lord is my shepherd, how that parallels with the six stages of Joseph's life. And here's what I'm going to suggest. I, I love this kind of stuff as, as a preacher. I love this. There's six verses in Psalm 23. There are six stages to Joseph's life. 
And every single verse relates to a stage of Joseph's life. So we're going to go through each six verses, one to six. And we're going to show and we're going to see how the shepherd leads us through these different stages of life. Is that cool? You follow along so far? Not lost you already? Good. Psalm 23, let's read it together. It says this. I'm going to read through it, rattle through it really quick. And then we're going to jump into the life of Joseph. All right? So it's going to be like a whistle-stop tour through the life of Joseph. If you've never heard of Joseph, that's all right. You're going to get to know him this morning. You're going to know everything that you ever need to know about Joseph, the character in the book of Genesis. David writes this in Psalm 23. He says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me your rod and your staff they comfort me you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever beautiful psalm isn't it it's a psalm that most people learn off by heart at some point in their Christian experience. What is interesting to me is that the first reference of Jehovah Rohi, the Lord is my shepherd, and God being the shepherd, is found in reference to Joseph himself as we flip to the life of Joseph. As Jacob blesses Joseph and Joseph's sons, he says this, his prayer is, is God, would you bless them, that would they know the shepherd who has led me all the days of my life. In fact, when we're introduced to Joseph and his brothers in, in Genesis chapter 37, we're introduced to them as shepherds. That, that we know Joseph and his family are shepherds. And we know that Joseph's life, when you look at the life of Joseph, you read about it for yourself in, in Genesis 37 and follow the story on. When we, when we look at Joseph's life, we know that there are phases to Joseph's experience. And I'd suggest that these six stages, these six phases of his life, are phases that each and every one of us face at some point. And here's the beautiful truth, that in every phase, God leads him through it. The first phase of Joseph's life, I'll call the promise. All six phases begin with the letter P, which is a dream for me this morning. So it'll help you remember them. The first, the first P is promise. The promise is, is the place of dream. It's the place of vision. We know that Joseph is, has got, he's one of 12 brothers. And he's, he's the favorite in his, in his dad's eyes, in Jacob's eyes. It says that he was his dad's favorite because he was a son in his old age. And this son of promise, this son of favor, he, he receives a vision, a promise from God. And here's what, here's what it says in, in Genesis chapter 37. Here's the, the dream Joseph has. It says, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright. While your sheaves, you can imagine him smiling on his face, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Joseph, one of the younger sons of Jacob, speaks to his older brothers. It's something you need to know about uh, the way that family structure worked in, in the Hebrew context. 
is that the oldest in the family were the ones who would receive the inheritance and the blessing. So Joseph, as the younger, is coming to the older, and here's what he's saying to his brothers. I'm going to be lifted up. You're going to be shrunk down. Now, here's the thing with Joseph. The dream is true, okay? But you just get a sense from Joseph that he's taking great pleasure and delight in telling his brothers he's better than them. I know you have no one in your family like this. I know that in your family there are no favorites. That's what mom says. That's what dad says. We know that's not true. And everyone went quiet <laughs> at that point. And he tells them this dream, this, this amazing dream. And here's, here's the reality for in the place of promise, it's not that the dream is not true. It's that the, the way that Joseph sees the dream is distorted. And here's what happens in the place of promise, the place of dream for each and every one of us. We trick ourselves into believing that the dream is about us. Now we're going to find out as we go through all these phases, we come to the last phase, we're going to find out the dream was never about Joseph. But in this phase of, of our experience with God, we feel like God's, God speaks to us, God's got a plan for us, God's got a purpose for us, all that is true. But the plan and purpose of God is much bigger than you and me. We are not the centerpiece of God's plan, Jesus is. And Joseph makes the mistake in this phase of, under, of, of believing that, man, my sheaf was lifted up, yours was lowered. He doesn't get the purpose yet. All he's doing is interpreting the promise through his perception that it's all about me. Here's the problem. Here's the crux. Here's the problem of preaching. Preach to a crowd like this, a room like this. Preach a wide message and everyone's interpreting it through the narrow filter of their lives. What does that mean for me? When it's for, it's for all. And Joseph, when he, when he interprets the dream, sees the dream, it's about him. Here's what David says in Psalm 23, verse 1. That's linking into Joseph's life. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. In other words, David, as king, is looking over his life for an analogy of what life is like with God, to live with God. And he doesn't use an illustration based on his sovereignty as king. He looks all the way back to his youth and uses an illustration that he knew for himself very well as he was a shepherd in his father's field leading sheep. And he says, you know what God is like? God is like a shepherd and I'm like a dumb sheep. In order for you to acknowledge that God is your shepherd... The first stage is to acknowledge you're a sheep. Turn to the person next to you and say, Bart, no, don't do that, this one. <laughs> you're a sheep. In other words, what David is saying is I'm not self-sufficient. That there's, there's a source apart from me, higher than me, that's above all this, and I need a shepherd. This is David. If anyone could have rested on, the, on his laurels, he had a great reputation. People sung songs about him. Like he, is, he was on people's lips. He was a great king. And he says, even as a king, 
with all the prestige and all the power and all the significance, I recognize that I am not the centerpiece of God's plan for this world and I need a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And when I acknowledge he's my shepherd, I don't lack a thing. When you're the shepherd of your own life, you'll always live in lack. Lack of confidence, lack of identity, lack of purpose, lack of meaning. When he's my shepherd, I like nothing. And this isn't just a challenge for those of us who maybe are on the edge and thinking about relationship with God. This is a massive challenge for each and every one of us who are in relationship with God. To give him the place of shepherd and to allow him to lead me as his sheep. The idea of of, of shepherd is an interesting illustration for David to use. The shepherd in the Hebrew world was the lowest of the law. It was a menial task. And he says, the Lord is, is my shepherd. In other words, God's not afraid of my mess. And he's not afraid of, of looking like less than. He's my shepherd. He's the God who'll give up heaven to come to earth. And take on the lowly form of humanity. He's my shepherd. And I need my shepherd to lead me. Anybody else? It's interesting he says this. He says the Lord is my shepherd. He doesn't say he's the shepherd, a shepherd. He says he's my shepherd. There's a difference between acknowledging God as the shepherd and acknowledging him as my shepherd. Each and every one of you have probably got on your phones, you've got um, a map or a sat-nav or something like that. Some of you in your cars, you have when you get in your cars, you can input the postcode and your sat-nav will take you from your destination where you need to go. The interesting thing is that your sat-nav in your car is different to my sat-nav in my car because we're going to different places. True? They're not all linked. They're not all the same. It's unique. It's distinct. It's for me. It knows where I am and it knows where I need to go. So does yours. Here's what God knows. He knows where you are and he knows where you need to go. That you're not meant to follow someone else's sat-nav. He needs to be your shepherd, my shepherd, so that you can follow him where you need to go. You see the difference? He's not a shepherd. He's not the shepherd. He's my shepherd. In fact, when Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount, he says this. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus is teaching is, is blessed are those who have an awareness that they're not self-sufficient or altogether. Blessed are the poor in spirit is to acknowledge that you have lack and you have need, that you're in need of a savior, that you're in need of a shepherd. Those who recognize that they are not the centerpiece of all things, this is what Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who recognize that shall inherit the earth. Factored in, grafted into the promise of God for his life. And so the first phase of Joseph's life is the promise. How do you interpret what God has for your life? The second phase of, of Joseph's life, and because he interprets the first phase wrong, it leads him to the second phase He goes from promise and he goes to the pit. It tells us that his brothers weren't that happy with with how Joseph interpreted his dream. Weren't that happy about him um, perceiving himself as greater than them. And so they plotted, they they planned to get rid of him. And when he came out to the field to meet them, they put him in a pit. The pit represents rejection. And each and every one of us in life, at some point, at some phase, are going to feel and know the pain of rejection. That's a part of life. In fact, here's my theory. 
I think God allows us to taste rejection so that our palate doesn't get accustomed just to praise. Because if all you get is praise, that'll go to your head. And he allows us to experience in some forms rejection. And the challenge is don't let praise go to your head, but don't let rejection go to your heart. And for Joseph, he's got to go through this. It's the test of confidence. It's to see where your confidence really comes from. You'll know when you're rejected where your confidence comes from. But here's the great thing. Joseph was rejected, but also were significant characters in the life of the scriptures. David himself was rejected, left out in the fields. Think about this. Moses was rejected by the Egyptians because he was Hebrew by birth and is rejected by the Hebrews because he was brought up an Egyptian. You thought you had, you had issues. Like what camp do I sit in? Think about this. Gideon rejected himself. Rule me out. I'm not able. Paul was rejected because of his past. And even Jesus himself was rejected because he didn't meet people's expectations of what they thought he would be. All of them accomplished amazing, significant things for God. But they understood what it was like to be rejected. And it's in the place of, re of rejection that you experience the shepherd like no other. Here's what da uh, David says in verse 2 of Psalm 23. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Now that sounds serene, doesn't it? He leads me. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. What David's referring to is he's not referring to external circumstances. He's re referring to an internal environment. And, and here's, here's what the shepherd does. He forces you to lie down. David says, Lord is my shepherd, I like nothing. He makes me lie down. He makes me rely on him. He takes me to places where I recognize I have lack. And you, you don't experience that anywhere else other than rejection. Quite like it. And, and I recognize that he's the one who's leading me behind, beside still waters. The still waters for Joseph weren't found in the pit, but they were found in the environment of his life. That even in, in rejection and heartache and pain, that I could experience the richness of the stillness of God and the restoration of my soul in that place. Only a shepherd can do that. Only a shepherd can take a pit and make it a place of encounter. And to work on your inner life in that way. He's still with me? Third, third phase of Joseph's life. He, he goes from promise. He goes to the pit. And then he goes to Potiphar. Potiphar's house. It tells us that whilst he's in the pit. That um, his brothers decide they're not going to kill him. But they're going to sell him into slavery. And they sell him into the slave, slavery. Into a household. The leader of that household is the name Potiphar. He's, he's, he's called Potiphar. He's an Egyptian. And it tells us, the scripture tells us that, that Joseph rose to prominence in that place. It says in Genesis chapter 39 verse 10, it says, One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him. This is Potiphar's wife. She caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. Everyone say, uh-oh. 
uh-oh, this should have a rating, this chapter in the Bible. You ever feel like that when you're reading through the Bible? Like, what certification would I give this? Is this PG? Is this you? I'd say this is probably a 15 right here. She said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and he ran out of the house. Joseph now sold into slavery, rises to prominence in Potiphar's house. It says he becomes the head of all his household, his servants. And it tells us, the Bible tells us that Joseph is handsome. And, and Potiphar's wife takes a liking to Joseph. And she looks for an opportunity where they're alone and then she pounces. Okay. And, and she, she, some of you are laughing nervously. Like, is it okay that we talk about this in church? It's all right. Seduction. There, I said it. Sex. There you go. It's out there now. So we've said those words. Uh, but here's, here in this moment, in this encounter, you see that, that here is what's happening in Potiphar's house. Joseph has to go through temptation. And the place of temptation, the stage of temptation, is when you realize whether you're really living by the spirit or whether you're living by the flesh. And Joseph, as the doors closed, as nobody else is around, has an opportunity to act on desire. Isolation will often lead to temptation. And he's in this place of isolation, no eyes on me, and he has a choice to make. Do I want destiny, what God said for my life, or do I want desire? And that's the choice each and every one of us have to make when it comes to temptation. Now, temptation comes in different forms. So some of us, you're thinking, well, I have no sex drive anyway, so that's not a temptation. For others of you, you identify with Joseph's plight. You can look at different areas of your life and think, I'm tempted in different ways. But here's the lesson we learn from Joseph. Joseph puts distance between himself and the temptation. Now, you can feel as confident as you want in your ability to resist. But here's what Joseph shows us. He's aware that he's not an angel, but he's human. And each and every one of us, whether you choose to admit it or not, depending on whether you've been in a church for a long time or not, and you're depending whether this morning you woke up feeling more super spiritual than others of us, but you are still human even though the Spirit of God resides within you. And each and every one of us can fall in some area. Each and every one of us can fail. Each and every one of us can, can fall, fall just prey to temptation. And here's what Joseph understands. I'm not going to stay in this context and I'm not relying on my flesh or my ability to resist it. I'm running out of here. And here's what temptation will do. Temptation will try and grip hold of you. Because it says that she grabs hold of his cloak. It'll try and keep you close. But the sooner you can get this in your Christian experience, the more distance, the safer I am. The more distance, the safer I am. So whether we don't need to be alone, whether we need not to, to be alone, we need not be, to be alone. Whether, whether I, I shouldn't be alone with my computer, then get that computer out of here. The more distance you can create, the healthier you'll be. Well, I can do it. I'll be fine. Said everyone who's ever fell, ever. True? And it's the battle between the spirit and the flesh. And here's what the, the flesh is. The flesh is clever because it'll try and convince you you're further on than you are. Oh, I'm able to now. But some of you who've been through 
the, the, the grip of addiction, you understand this more than most. That it gripped you. And you've had to create distance. True? From places. From people. From contexts. Because you know, the greater the distance, the better. Well, that's just weakness. No, it's not. It's wisdom. And it's Joseph. Joseph is probably the most Jesus-like image we have in the Old Testament scriptures. And if Joseph himself runs and gets out of there, you better believe me and you need to too. So whatever you're getting close to, or the edge of, and you think, oh, it's all right, I know where the limits are, I know where the edge is, and all of a sudden, boom, get that distance. Create that, whether that's in a relationship, whether that's in a situation, whether that's a, 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 something that's coming up, bubbling up in your life, get some distance in there and create yourself a, a, healthy, a healthy boundary. Here's what, another biblical illustration, Esau. Esau's Jacob's brother. And it tells us that Esau, he sells his birthright and the blessing of God for a, for, listen to this, for vegetable soup. <laughs> it's amazing, amazing what the fleshly desire will lead you towards. That he would give up all that blessing for a bowl of lentil soup. I wouldn't give you 20p. For a bowl of lentil soup. Let alone my birthright and my blessing. But your desire. Come on. We're all human aren't we? Your desire will cause you to make stupid decisions. Stupid decisions. And throw your whole life away. In a moment. We know God can redeem. And God can make new. And God can make a way. But how about in, instead of dealing with the, the product, we get to the symptom. And we say in my, in my life, in my days, where do I need to create some distance so that I, that I don't give in to the flesh? Because I want to live for the, the spirit. Psalm 23, verse 3, David says this. He says, the shepherd, the good shepherd that we have, he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. He guides me along the right paths. In other words, there's a right path and there's a wrong path. And here's where the shepherd wants to lead you. He wants to lead you along the right path. And, and here's, here's why. It's not for your name's sake. It's for his. He leads me along the right path for his, his, his name's sake. It's not all about you and me. It's his name. He's righteous, he's godly, he's good, and he'll lead you along right paths for his name's sake. His name. Because here's the reality. When you become a Christ follower, you carry his name. Let that soak in just for a second. You carry his name. In other words, you represent Jehovah Rohi. That's who you represent. And he doesn't want you on any old path. He wants you on the right path. And here's why. Because he has the best in store for you. He knows what will hurt you. He knows what will hinder you. And he knows what will help you. And I don't know about you. I want to take his path. Because he knows best. 
And a dumb sheep says, shepherd, lead me. And if it means I've got to run from some stuff, then I've got to run. We got that, labored that a little bit too much, sorry. Point number three. It, it, goes, from, it goes from Potiphar's, point number four, but he goes from Potiphar's house and he goes to the prison. He runs from the temptation and we're told that Potiphar's wife is so offended that he would turn her down. She had some self-obsession going on there, didn't she? Like, you can't turn me down. So she makes, she makes an accusation against Joseph. He tried to, to rape me. False accusation. And he finds himself in prison. Prison's the place of darkness. It's the place of confinement. And it's the place that'll test if you really, ha- really are who you say you are or think you are. Because when you're in Potiphar's house and all eyes are on you, that's different from being in a dark place, a place of restriction and confinement, where now I've really got to see if I'm, I'm a person of character and integrity. That's where the rubber really hits the road. And for Joseph, he does. It says this in Genesis chapter 39, verse 20. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. And he showed kindness to him and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Here's Joseph in the darkness and confinement of prison and the favor and the hand of God still on him. David says this in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Here's the reality. Um, the, the, The valley is the low place. It's the low place. Here's what we want in life. We want to go from mountain to mountain. How you get from mountain to mountain is through the valley. Then each and every one of us go through the valley. Here's the crazy thing that, that Joseph, uh, 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 David, sorry, when he writes Psalm 23, he's picturing sheep in his head and the shepherd. So he's picturing a sheep walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Here's the crazy thing about a valley. Because it's so low that depending on where the sun is at different points, you could get the appearance in the valley that it's night before it really is. The shadow can cast in such a way that the sheep can start to believe it's in the darkness of the night, even though it's just a shadow. And here's what happens for the sheep as they're walking through the valley and the shadow is cast and then they feel like it's dark and the enemy could be watching and prowling all around until they remember, it's okay i got my shepherd with me. And here's a question for you this morning. Are your eyes on the shadow or are your eyes on the shepherd? Are your eyes on the shadow or are they on the shepherd? Well, it's dark. There's so much going on. I've got this that's going on in my world. Coronavirus could strike at any moment. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil because my God is with me and he's rod and his staff to comfort me. You go from a place of fear to a place of confidence. And here's what Joseph learned in the pit of in the place of prison. That that it isn't about where I am, it's about who's with me. My shepherd is with me. 
There's a story, an illustration for you, a story of a little boy and a, a, his dad who went to the zoo one day and they were looking at different animals and they walked past the lion's cage and the lion, as they walked past, let out a huge roar and it frightened this little kid to death and he set off running. And he's running away and the, his dad says, what are you doing? He says, I'm running. Can you not see the lion? Dad, quick, run, quick, run. He turns around, his dad's stood there smiling. He says, dad, why are you not afraid? Why are you not running? And his dad said, because I'm not looking at the lion, I'm looking at the cage. And here's what Jesus said in the New Testament. I am the gate. All who enter through me shall be saved. You can look at all the things in life that should get you afraid. You can listen to the roar of defeat and depression and destitution. Or you can look at the gate and say, it's God who protects me. I've entered through the gate and he'll keep me safe. His rod and his staff will go before me. Interestingly enough for the shepherd, the staff was a long stick. It, was, it had a hook on the end and it would pull out the little sheep when it got caught in different stuff. And the rod represented the club to beat off the animals with. In other words, what the staff represents is the grace of God. That you were out there on your own, lost in your junk and your darkness. And God reached out with his, rod, with his staff and he pulled you in and he rescued you. And now he has the power to watch over you and protect you with his rod. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. But if all you see is the shadow... You're not going to experience much of the grace and the power of God. Because he's my shepherd. He leads me through. And he'll see me through the darkest season. Because it's not where I am or what I go through. But who's with me. That really matters. Number five. Fifth stage of Joseph's life is this. It's the palace. While Joseph's in prison tells us that he interprets a few dreams. And it leads on to Pharaoh, the head of all Egypt, having a dream that no one can interpret. And the one that's called upon to interpret this dream and does it successfully is a small Hebrew boy who's been on a crazy journey. And he comes into to the Pharaoh's presence and he interprets the dream. And it says that Pharaoh is so impressed with Joseph that he sets him above anybody else, second in command in all Egypt, second only to himself as Pharaoh. Gives him such responsibility. And here's the test for, for each and every one of us. It's the promotion test. It's the praise test. Now how will Joseph respond when he's lifted up from prison and he's lifted up to this place in the palace. How will he respond? Psalm 23 verse 5 says this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Joseph is a Hebrew. And he's now second in command in all of Egypt. If that's not God preparing a table before him in the presence of his enemies. I don't know what is. Now he sits round the royal table. And he eats with those who were considered enemies. Because God has raised him up. The shepherd in, in olden times. The shepherd as Joseph and David were. They would carry around with them a cloth. 
And on that cloth, when they would go find sheep that had been lost, they would open up the cloth and they would lay it down before the sheep when they found them. And they would put little bits of food on the cloth for the sheep to eat. While the shepherd would watch and make sure the sheep could eat safely, there was no enemies around. That's the picture that David paints for you and me. That he finds you when you feel like you're lost. And he's prepared the food that you need. And as you eat it, you don't need to worry because he's watching your back. I don't know about you, but that sounds good. That the shepherd's watching out for me. The shepherd's got my back. The shepherd for, for Joseph was the source. The resource was never the source. Think about that. For Joseph, it's not about the fact that now he sits in royal places, wears fine clothes, gets to go to rooms that many don't. The resource never becomes the God for Joseph because he understands who put him there. And when you and me, especially in a Western context, when we start to feel like the resources and treat the resources we have like the source, that's a mistake. The resource is not the source. There was a source who gave you the resource and his name is Jehovah Rohi. The Lord is my shepherd. He's taking care of me. He's leading me. A few years ago, me and Rachel bought a dysfunctional dog, I've told you about him before, called Alfie. He was messed up. He fitted our family really well. <laughs> and, um, and we did everything for that dog. We walked that dog, fed that dog. We paid the bill, the vet bill for that dog. When we bought him, we didn't realize he had 10 rotten teeth. That cost us quite a bit of money to get those 10 teeth taken out. Uh, and one day as I'm feeding, feeding uh, the dog, put the dog's food down. And I went to pick up the water bowl that was next to the food bowl. And all of a sudden, he started to growl at me. I thought, you cheeky so-and-so. You're going to bite the hand that feeds you. So I took the water bowl. I took the food bowl. I said, you'll wait for your food. You'll wait till I want to give it you. Here's what we fall into the trap of. We fall into the trap of thinking we like that. That everything we have, God's given to us. And yet we act like it's ours. The life that I have, the breath that I breathe, it's not mine, it's his. He gave it. He's the giver of life. He's the keeper of life. And he's the taker of life. Psalm 90 tells us that he will, at the, at the appointed time, that in, your mo in that moment, he, he will take life. And we'll stand before him. He's the source of everything, the source of all things. The last thing is this, band if you want to come. We'll get ready to pray. The sixth stage of, of Joseph's life is provision. He goes from the promise to the pit, to Potiphar's house, to prison, to the palace, and then the last phase of Joseph's life is provision. 
And here's where you'll, you'll really understand if you're mature or not. Because what Joseph shows us is that now with hindsight and experience, I finally understand what God was saying right back at the beginning when he gave me that dream. It tells us that Joseph, as he's in the place of prominence, as he's interpreted this dream about the seven years of famine and the seven years of abundance. As the famine is sweeping through the land, it tells us that Joseph's brothers, they journey to where Joseph is. And they find themselves before Joseph. Think about that for Joseph. The moment that you dreamt of all those years before, is now becoming a reality right now after everything that you've been through. Here's what we do, and I know I do it in my life. I get the promise and I expect the provision the next day. Anybody else? I wish that was the way God worked. Anybody else? Well, God take you on a journey. He'll let you taste rejection so that you know how to, how to taste, how to handle when you, when you taste praise. He'll, he'll let you face temptation so that you learn how to run from it. He'll let you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, prison, so that you can find out if you're really a person of substance. He'll elevate you and he'll watch and he'll see if, if you're able to handle a claim or whether it goes to your head. And then he'll lead you to the place of provision where what he's promised right back then is stood before your eyes. How will you respond then? This is what Genesis chapter 43 verse 26 says about this moment for Joseph. It says, when Joseph came home, they presented, that's his brothers, they presented to him the gifts that they had brought into this house. And they bowed down before him to the ground. The one sheaf being raised up and the other 11 bowing down around him. This is the fulfillment of the promise. I don't know about you, it must have been tempting for Joseph to say, Ha ha! I told you. Didn't I tell you this was going to happen? At this point, they don't know who he is. They're just bringing their gifts and they're bowing down before him. It would be a great point for Joseph to say, I told you so, didn't I? You will be subject to me. Bow again. <laughs> just one more time. Just bow again. Just for fun. Just bow. It says that Joseph doesn't tell them who he is. He doesn't tell them who he is. He doesn't take the opportunity to show that he's right. Later on in their journey, it says this in Genesis chapter 45, and this is where we'll finish. It says, Then Joseph said to his brothers, when they came back another time, he said, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one who you sold into Egypt. And listen to this for maturity. And now, do not be distressed. And do not be angry with yourselves. Are you kidding me, Joseph? Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. 
Here's the moment. Pennies dropped for Joseph. Are you ready? Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. It was to save lives. I finally realized that it's not about me. I finally got it. The dream wasn't about me being lifted up. God sent me ahead of you for two years. I've been here helping people through the famine and God brought me to this place so that you wouldn't go hungry either. Think about that. The very hands that sold him into slavery, he's now going to feed. The very mouths that spoke all kind of murderous threats about him, he's about to put food on their table and give them sustenance for their mouths and their stomach. Think about that. When you go on a journey with God, God will lead you in such a way through this stage. He'll shepherd you. He'll guide you. He'll protect you. He'll watch over you. He'll lead you through the dark valley. He'll help you handle the, the rejection. He'll cause you to lie down. He'll create stillness on the inside. He'll provide before you in the place of your enemies. He'll watch over you. And verse 6, Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David says, here's what I've understood, that I've got to live on earth with a heavenly point of view. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life because I'm going to dwell with Him forever. Now Joseph can say, I'm not the centerpiece. I just have a part to play in God's great plan. I think God wants to lead us all as the shepherd. That's the end of this week's podcast. We hope that it inspired you. For any more information, visit bravechurch.co.uk.